We're in a series in this New Testament letter called First Peter. Last couple of weeks, if you haven't been with us or want to catch up with that, you can go listen to our podcast, and the last two messages are there. Um, we just generally are reading through the text a little bit at a time and then jumping into it and seeing what the Lord has in store for us. So I'm going to just jump right in and begin reading from First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And if you've got your Bibles, turn to that and follow along with me. If you'd like to follow on the screen, that's, uh, you're welcome to do that. So let's just jump into the text right away. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. We're going to stop right there. Um, Little just... Uh, brackets. If you're a parent here and you need the quiet room, room two is open and the message is streaming in their audio. So just a little help for you in case you need that. Let me, let me just kind of, we read this text. We're going to get into it in a second. But uh, as I was thinking about this this week, I remember this moment when I was in high school. I was in the music program. I think I was in grade nine or 10. I was just beginning to learn uh, the saxophone and I loved that instrument and loved to play it. And I remember the band director uh, gave me this solo. He's like, Dave, do you want to play this solo in jazz band? And I'm like, I, I'm like, yeah, I think that'd be awesome. I welcomed the, the privilege and uh, I thought it'd be cool. But as I looked at the music... The last, like, if you know music, the last three or four bars or 14 beats or, you know, however seconds that is, is like this one long note, like really long. Like, imagine blowing out of your mouth for 14 seconds and then trying to have air left. And I was just 15 at the time. I was just learning uh, the instrument, and I thought man, I want to play that note well, but I don't think I have the air for it. And I was a little nervous. I didn't think I have enough air. Now, many of you think like, Dave, you talk a lot. You have a lot of hot air, right? But that's a different kind of air than the air I needed for this moment. Anyways, just that's, that's one side of the things. But what I, what I needed to do was really build my capacity. And so I was taking lessons at the time. And so I went to my teacher and we were t- chatting about that. He's like, well, you need to begin learning how to breathe from your diaphragm, not from your chest. When you breathe from your chest, you have little air left. You just kind of blow it out and it's gone. But when you suck it all in your diaphragm, you have like a lot of air in there and you're going to have much more air and it's going to be a lot stronger. So that's what I did. I learned how to take this air from my stomach and not from my chest so I could learn how to really play this note well. And uh, I don't play much anymore, but I always beat my kids in holding my breath underwater. So, you know... Just there's a side benefit to learning how to, how to do that. But here's the thing, right? Peter is, is, as he writes to these people in the first century, these Christians that are just coming to faith and just learning what it means to live life of faith, he's shifting his letter now to help these people actually live their new faith in Jesus 
in the context that they're in. I mean, last week as we read these few verses before this that talked about this living hope and this inheritance and this new birth, it's just this amazing description of what someone has when they come to know Jesus. But then these people have to wake up every morning and live their life. These people, they're called even foreigners in the text that we read because they feel like strangers in their own city. They feel marginalized and they feel like foreigners. They have to wake up every morning and still live out this this new way of life. So Peter helps them understand what they have in Christ, but now he shifts to help them understand what does it mean to live this every single day. And I wrote this phrase down. I want us to maybe just start with this and hopefully remember it or write it down. People can't live a life of faith without a foundation of faith. People cannot live a life of faith without a foundation of faith. And just how, you know, when I was learning how to play that horn, and I, learned, I needed to build this capacity to blow that long note. We need to build this capacity, this faith capacity in us to follow Jesus, especially in a world that doesn't reflect, always reflect the vision of Jesus. So what will build our capacity? What will help us live this out as Peter writes this to them and to us today as we're reading this? Well, the core of it is in verse 18. It talks about, he talks about redemption. He talks about how, how these people have been redeemed um, from something into something brand new. I just want to read that verse with us. Verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were, and what's the word? Redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter talks about this word, this word redemption, and maybe when you say the word redemption, you think of like a movie, like Shawshank Redemption. You know, this person who's been a prisoner or lost or involved in a situation that he shouldn't be there. He needs to be redeemed out of it, rescued out of it, kind of ransomed out of it. That's that idea of redeemed, when something or someone is lost, but they're given something back, and even in a better way, given something brand new. This whole image of redemption comes from the whole biblical story, from the time of Israel. Well, Israel was stuck in Egypt for years as slaves, and God, and here's the word, God redeems them out of that life, out of slavery, into something new. You might think of the word ransom, to be freed from capture. And Peter says, you've been redeemed from this empty way of life. You used to live in a way that was empty, that led you to nowhere, that gave you no hope. You've been redeemed into a living hope. And under Christ's lordship, they begin to discover what life is meant to be. But it's like, well, how do I live? How do I live this way every day? How am I going to make these decisions and adjust my thinking and, and my decisions and my movement forward? And so these kind of three words, when you think about this, this phrase comes up and, and it's this phrase, how must we now live? And, and I wrote, if you can just go to the next slide, and I wrote the, the other words in really big because I just want us to remember that. How now live? How can we now live? We ask that question every day when something changes in life or we need to have, follow our purpose. We, well, how do I live this out today? How now live? And these Christians in the first century are asking that question. And Peter is saying, this is how you can begin to live this way now, today, under the lordship of Christ. Um, this idea of redemption, I don't know if you, I think about it 
this way. Um, who saw the movie Robots? Anybody see the, the movie Robots, that animated movie? One of the best animated movies ever. And um, there's a moment, like the, the dad, if you go to the, the dad in the, in, the, in the movie, he's a dishwasher and his son's like an inventor. And the dad just so wants to do anything he can kind of to help his son fulfill his dreams. So his dad, but his dad lived and grew up with this desire to be a musician. And um, he just couldn't fulfill that desire. He just, he worked faithfully for his family, for his son. And you can see he's kind of set up as a, as a dishwasher. Towards the end of the movie, when his son becomes this inventor, he comes back to the town and he gives his dad new parts. And if you go to the next slide, he gives his dad new parts. And, and now his dad can, can kind of become a musician and play. And when he plays, just his joy and this sense of purpose comes over him. And it's just a beautiful image for me of, you know, this is kind of how we set up our life. And we don't recognize that, that this could be possible. And when God comes into a life, when God redeems, when God restores, it couldn't be possible what we are meant for, both now and into eternity. And it begs that question, well, how do we live this way now? How now live? So three things that I just want to walk through briefly, and it's the way Peter helps us understand, how do we live this redeemed life? If we're redeemed, how do we move towards this radical new life? And if you read, if you read this text again on your own, you will notice kind of this grammatical um, uh, tense that Peter uses a lot. It's an imperative you know, the word imperative already sounds like it's urgent. Like, it's imperative you do this, right? So he uses these imperative words that are action words, that are challenge words, that are command-type words. And as he lays them out, there's, there's like three overarching ideas. And the first one is this. If we're going to live and grow this capacity to live a life of faith, the first thing is live with God's future in mind. The first imperative, live with God's future in mind. Verse 13 says this, set your hope, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Here's this kind of sense of imperative, set yourself towards this new future, this future where God will restore all things. See, God, the scripture tells us, has this future in store for all of creation when the fullness of his grace and salvation will be revealed. We talked a little bit about that last week. Grace enters the world when, when Jesus comes in. Grace enters our life when we begin to follow Jesus. And the Bible says here that we set our hope on the fullness of that grace one day when Jesus is revealed. That one day in the future, God will restore all things and we will get a glimpse of how big and glorious and amazing that grace is. So Peter's saying there's this hope ahead of us We need to live towards it. We need to live with God's future in mind. And what that means is we need to live in tune with what that future will be like. There's enough in the scriptures to tell us about the justice and the graciousness and the joy and the peace and the values of God's kingdom that when we see that ahead, we can tune our lives now towards that. We begin to live like that with his future in mind. And the thing is this, we've got to be so intentional about this that Peter prefaces what he says with these words in verse 13. He says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. He says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. I mean, it's so necessary. There's, I was uh, talking to a guy who ends up um, running a mechanic shop and he was telling me about 
how some of the, some of the people um, you know, often get caught on social media uh, while they're fixing some parts. And it's like, they're like, well, you can't do that here. You've got to be like really focused in what you're doing. You're going to mess up terribly. You know? and, and I can imagine as someone who's kind of supervising that's probably saying those same words, like with minds fully alert, not on Facebook, with minds like sober and prepared, not on Instagram, <laughs> like focus here. And these words, I think, are a real call to us. Now, literally, it means like don't get drunk because you, you're, you're going to lose your capacity to think. That's literally where the word kind of comes from. But the image is, is bigger than that in the New Testament and in that time. It's this idea in that time period, um, even the men wore kind of these long garments and they had two garments, like an inner one and an outer one. And the outer one went long to the feet. And if they were going to be doing something serious, they had to lift up the outer garment and kind of like bring it to their hips. Please don't visualize me doing that at the moment. But here's, so, so they would lift up their garments and they'd be so ready because if they leave their outer garment down, that's gonna, like, they're going to trip, they're going to get distracted, their foot's going to get caught, uh, they're going to maybe catch something along the way and it's going to pull something. And so this image is like with your minds alert and fully sober, lift up all the distractions and be disciplined to move forward so you can be ready and prepared for action. N.T. Wright translates this phrase, fasten the seatbelt of your mind towards God's future. Live with God's future in mind. And really it's this call, and here's this next phrase I want you to think about, to be disciplined and not distracted. And, and here, in, to be disciplined and not distracted. Man, that is so hard today, to be disciplined and not distracted. It's so hard in our culture it's so hard in our society to not be distracted. Um, I was reading an article from an author named Philip Yancey, and he's, he's written tons of books, great books, and this guy has like 5,000 books in his library. And he was talking about that in this season of his life, he struggles to read a paragraph before clicking away to something else. And he's like, I, I have 5,000 books. I read like these books. And now... Google has infiltrated my mind and I try and read a paragraph and I got to switch out. He's, he ha, he's this, this person who's read deeply and written widely in our culture is, is facing the struggle of distraction. And Peter's saying this, be disciplined, not distracted. And look what he says in verse 14 in that same vein. He says, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Move forward looking towards God's future. Don't look back in the conformed ways where you lived in ignorance with your evil desires. Because here's the deal. When you're conformed to something, you can't see what's next. When you're conformed to something, it's hard to see what's outside of that. We're talking about a new location here at Westside. And I remember when years ago when we first started, we were about 14, 15 months in a, in a chalet in Kirkland. And I'll never forget this. It was amazing. We had an amazing core group of people, just a dozen of them. They were so committed. It was amazing at that, in that season. And we moved from the chalet. It was in Kirkland, Ecclestone Park, like the basement we used for kids' ministry. That's where people changed their skates. Uh, there was like one bathroom. We had to move everything around. We carried, like we filled three cars of stuff to get it there. And I'll never forget when we started renting this school. And within a week or two, one of the girls who was on our team, she said, Dave, man, you know, I miss the chalet. I'm like, you, what do you miss? You, I miss the chalet. I'm like, you miss the chalet. Like, you miss the, the floor in the basement that was 
all dirty? Like, do you, what do you miss about the chalet? So it was so funny because for months, right, we, we set up a church environment, community. We built relationships in this, in this space, and it was amazing. We were content, and we loved it. But we moved into this space here, and I never forget this person's reaction because we got so conformed to that space that when we moved here, like, it was almost like I'm missing something. That's what the scriptures talk about. Don't be conformed. Now, they're talking about evil desires and living in ignorance because you're going to miss out on what's next and what's best. Sometimes we get distracted with sin and brokenness. And sometimes we just get distracted with stupidity, right? We could be honest. Sometimes we get distracted with sin, brokenness in our lives, things that lead us astray. Sometimes we just get distracted with silly things. And here's this other phrase that I wanted to be clear about saying. Don't be conformed to your past if you're transformed for a new future. Here's Peter's call to these people as they come to know Jesus. Don't be conformed to your past if you've already been and are being transformed for a new future. It's so easy to look back. So quick question. Is there anything distracting you from the discipline you need to live set on God's future? I'll leave you with that question to think about it and to spend time reflecting on that. Is there anything distracting you from the discipline, the, 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 um, the, the intentionality, from living with God's future in mind? Here's this next imperative we kind of see in this, in this text. is to live with God's character in mind. Peter says, be holy in all you do. It's hard not to understand what that sentence means, right? Be holy in all you do. Be holy means to be set apart, to have this sense of purpose in what you're doing, to have uh, your own task in this particular way about how you go about your life. And Peter describes holiness in a few ways. He says it in these ways in the text. He says, be holy like the one who called you, Jesus. So be holy like Jesus. So we can look to Jesus' life. We can look at how he interacted with people, how he loved people, how he made decisions, how he spoke truth, and yet grace at the same time. We can look back and say, oh, that's holiness. And Peter says, be holy like Jesus, the one who called you. Follow his example. He's your model in what it means to be holy. Sometimes people think holiness is, uh, is just you know, where you are or what you're doing, and that's part of it. But we have the best example of what holiness is. Jesus was the most holy person ever to walk this earth, and yet he was the one who was able to engage with incredible diversity of people. Be holy is like Jesus is holy. Peter says, and he quotes the Old Testament, be holy, God says, because I am holy. He quotes the Old Testament where God says, be holy because I am holy. So now we have God's character, God's values, God's heart as, as a model for us in what it means to be holy. And then he says, be holy, back to that verse, in all you do. So the sense of holiness, the sense of being set apart, the sense of modeling our life after Jesus and after the character of God, Peter says, you should blanket everything you do with that. Every, blanket everything you do with holiness. All your decisions, all your relationships, all your purchases. Imagine what... How, how our lives might be different if, we, if our behaviors and our decisions got filtered through, I want to live with God's character in mind. I want to do this relationship with God's character in mind. I want to 
undo this relationship with God's character in mind. I want to walk into the office with God's character in mind. I want to engage this project with God's character in mind. I want to be a neighbor with God's character in mind. I want to, I want to go through my, my, my finances and my checkbook and my spending and my saving and giving with God's character in mind. Peter says, be holy in all you do. Blanket your life with a view of God's character so that our life and our decisions and our outcomes begin to reflect God's heart and God's character. And then he says this, and this is like probably the hardest one. And I'll say it this way. Live with God's future evaluation in mind. And you're like thinking, how'd that word get in here? Evaluation. Verse 17, Peter says, since we have a father who judges each person's work impartially. Since you call on a father, God, who judges each person's work impartially. That's like, I know what you're thinking. Like, do we have a test at the end of this? Uh, do I have a test? Like, I, I failed my driver's test the first time. Like, at the end of my life, is there going to be a test, you know? I did bad in grade nine math. But the whole thing is, here we, we see this, this what, what Peter's trying to bring about here, that we serve a God who judges each person's work impartially. In other words, God has the role of a judge. And this is not uncommon throughout the scriptures. He's, Peter doesn't officially call God the judge here, but he says God is one who also judges. He evaluates. He, he discerns. And he can look at our lives and towards the end of our life, or the scriptures describe a moment where God will evaluate our lives and for some people, that might be freaked them out. For some people, it's like, I, I'm, I, just, I, w- I want to do and be everything that the Lord wants me to be. But this sense that God is also acts as judge. And in verse 17, he continues. Peter says, to, now this verse, to live out your time as foreigners. Your time, right? How now live. Live out your time now in your culture, in your city. As foreigners, they felt like foreigners. They felt like strangers in that place in reverent fear. Now that's like, wait a second. Why should I be afraid? Why would I live out my time in reverent fear? Well, here, let me just unpack that. Because there's a biblical theme in the scriptures of what's called the fear of God. One of the most popular verses is the the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Then when we come to this reverent uh, posture towards the God of the universe, the God of creation, that that is the, the first step towards wisdom. There's something about fearing God, not to be afraid of God, but here's, here's a phrase that'll be helpful for you, to take God seriously. When, when Peter says this, to live out your time as foreigners in reverent fear, and just couples that with, since you call on a father who judges your work impartially, Peter's saying, as you live your life, live it in view with God's, God's future evaluation. Take God seriously. Take God seriously. Maybe you've seen um, and read right the, the C.S. Lewis's books on Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia, and the main figure there is Aslan the, the lion. I mean, I love it when you see Lucy, the little girl, just come close to Aslan as the lion and puts her head on his mane, and she has no fear approaching Aslan whatsoever. But something Lucy recognizes is that Aslan should be taken seriously. What he says and who he is and what his vision is should be taken seriously. 
And so we serve a God who is loving and gracious and merciful and giving and caring, but he is a God to be taken seriously. That in some sense, God will evaluate our lives. And so we, we love that for other people. That's amazing. I'm sure you're looking to think of one of your neighbors like, I can't wait for God to evaluate them at the end, right? And we loved, we, we, you know, like today in culture, it's so popular to kind of call the, you know, play the justice card. We want justice for everybody. We want justice for all people. And it's important. We should pursue justice for all people. It's horrible when there's injustice in our world. We love justice for everybody. We just don't love it for us. We don't like when, when we would have to stand in comparison to justice and see if we are really living that out. So we love justice. We just struggle with it for us. But if this is true, that God judges all of our lives impartially, and we're called to take him seriously, let me ask you this question. Would you live differently if you really believe God cared about how you live? Now, maybe right off the cuff, you're like, of course I care about how, of course I, I, you know, I care about what God thinks. But does your life and decisions reflect that you care, that I care about what God thinks? That he actually will actually looks at us or one day even looks at us and says he will judge our work impartially that means it's not partial so he's fair and more than fair but he 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 is a god to be taken seriously would you live your life different would i live my life different if i filtered my decisions through this god honoring lens how would how would how would how i treat people be different if i if i made those decisions and acted in that way through a god honoring lens through a god who who I take seriously? How would, I, how would my finances look or the, or the way I put my resources or the way I treat my family or how I get engaged in my city or the things that I do, my behavior um, relationally? And what would that, how would you live differently? How would I live differently if I filtered my life through this God-honoring lens? And Peter says, if you're going to build the capacity to live a life of faith, live with a view that your God is to be taken seriously. He actually evaluates our life because he cares and he loves us. Now, if, if, um, if you're a dad in this place, you might get this, right? Because there's nothing you would not do for your kid. Even if they fail or they get themselves in a mess, there's nothing you wouldn't do for your kids. And yet at the same time, you long for that relationship. You know that your kids should take you seriously as their parent. And if you're a good and loving dad or parent, then you, you can understand kind of the both worlds in that, the love and the grace and the care, but also the seriousness. And it leads me to, to kind of to, to just this idea that I think God really helped me see this week that I've never really seen before. And it's this combination of grace and judgment or grace and evaluation. And you think, well, those are two separate ideas. They can't be both. They can't both fit together. But Peter tells us in the same kind of phrase, in the same section of this letter, he says two things. One, live with your hope on the grace that will one day be revealed in Jesus Christ. You're going to see the fullness of that grace. Live in such a way, set your hope on this grace. You live in grace now, but you set your hope on the fullness of that grace. So Peter says, one, live with your hope that that grace will be brought to you. But he also says, live in such a way that you take God seriously. Now we might say, well, Wait a second. If God's so gracious, then then why do I have to why do I have to take seriously how I live my life? Because He's always gracious. But there's these two 
pieces here that work together. And some might think it's an oxymoron, but I think it's beautiful because we serve a God who is full of grace and who is full of truth, who is full of mercy and is full of justice. And what the scriptures say about Jesus is that Jesus walked the earth and those two words, full of grace and full of truth. Now, I imagine that we usually have seen cheap grace or aggressive justice, right? So when we, when, we read in, when we read this, we read in our view. I've seen cheap grace, grace that just, you know, um, that, that either just doesn't care what people do, or I've seen uh, legalism that just stops everybody from doing everything, makes people feel horrible. Or we've seen aggressive justice, where people with power abuse their power and they talk the justice talk, but they're really aggressive and abusive. But here's the thing. This is beautiful because Peter's telling us to live with this hope into the future. I believe that one day, one day we will understand how the fullness of grace and the fullness of justice work together. I believe that one day when, when we're standing before God in, into, the, into kind of like the step into eternity, into his new creation, I believe we're going to see the fullness of grace and the fullness of justice displayed. And I think every single one of us will stand back and say, wow, this, this is the fullness of your grace. This is the fullness of your justice. This is the fullness of your love. This is the fullness of your truth. And I have a sense that when I in that moment where, where Peter talks about one day, set the hope that one day when I see Jesus, I have this sense that in the same moment, I'm going to recognize the true depth of my sin and the true depth of God's grace. Somehow at the same time, I'm going to recognize that moment, man, my, I am really a sinner, fallen, broken. And yet at the same time, I'm going to recognize the generosity of God's grace. Until then, we see glimpses of it. We preach it. We teach it. We read it. We experience it little by little. We know that God works in our hearts, but I don't think we will fully comprehend the depth of our sin and brokenness and the depth of humanity's brokenness and also at the same time fully comprehend God's generosity until that day. I think it's going to be mind-blowing. I think we're going to all stand back and say, wow, I can't believe the depth of your grace and the beauty of your justice. And that's a mix of reverence, reverent fear and explosive joy. In that moment, it's going to be like reverent fear. God, wow, you are, and we just kind of bow down before him. And explosive joy. As we close this, and um, I'm going to invite the team to come up because we're going to move into just a short time of um, communion this morning. Think of those words, how now live. How can I now live? And if, if we or have either experienced redemption in Christ, like these people have that Peter's writing to, and we're saying, okay, how do I live this faith out? We cannot live a life of faith without a foundation of faith. And the capacity is live with God's future in mind, live with God's character in mind, live with God's future evaluation in mind. When, and then Peter's saying, put, move in that direction. Set yourselves towards that. Live into that. We need, that will grow our capacity to live this life of faith. 
We can't just say, oh, great, thank you, Jesus, amazing. Now I'm going to go kind of try this all by myself. We need to live into these things. We need to allow God's character to be a guide, a filter, a, a, a direction for us to live. We need to have God's future as, as what we filter our lives through and, and be in tune with it now. We need to recognize God actually will evaluate us. And so live with his future in mind, live with his character in mind, live with his evaluation in mind. How shall we now live? God wants to give you that capacity. Now here's, here's the, the beautiful thing. What catalyzes all of this? You know, we can do it. We can step into it. We can read all the imperatives that we want. But Peter also ends this little section with a beautiful phrase. And he says this, Through him you believe in God. Through Jesus you believe in God. Who raised him, Jesus, from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. So as much as Peter gives us the imperatives, tells us, hey, if you want to build your capacity to live this life of faith, Hey, live with these things in mind. But remember this. You believe in a God who raised Jesus from the dead. It's your faith and your hope in God. That is the catalyst. We can't live a life of faith without putting our faith in Jesus. We can't live a life of hope without truly recognizing that hope comes from him. That is the catalyst to that foundation. And then through that, through Jesus' work on the cross and his grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, we can take these imperatives and not do them out of duty. We, Jesus actually gives us the power to move that way, to live in that way, to make those decisions, to see clearly God's future and his character and his evaluation. And so right now in this moment, I just want to, I've just been sensing on my heart this last two weeks, I just want to give people an opportunity to make a real step uh, into God's grace. Because here's the thing, you can't just live you can't just live in this way without first coming to trust Jesus. You can't even take these imperatives seriously and attempt them without coming to f- follow Jesus. You must live out of faith and hope, not just try to live. Cuz Christianity is not about merit and just trying harder and harder. Jesus has already done something for you on the cross. And his Holy Spirit is sent for you as you embrace him. So I'm just going to ask us all in just a quiet way, just to, just to be prayerful, maybe to keep our eyes even closed as Matt continues to play uh, before we move into this next moment. And um, because this is something I really feel like maybe a few people here this morning need to respond to. And here's the question. Do you want to put your trust in Jesus today? Do you want that catalyst really to to begin working in you? Do you want to trust him and put your hope in him? And the question is, if that's what you want, if you've been uh, just exploring faith, exploring Jesus, and there's so many things you see in Jesus, you say, I want to live this way. I long for this. God, I want you to do this. God is gracious and loving. He loves each and every one of us. But the catalyst is when we put our faith in him. So here's my question. Do you want to put your faith in Jesus? If you've never put your faith in Christ before, or you've been just slowly inching your way closer to him, and so all of us have our eyes closed, and we're just seeking the Lord our own, but that if that's you in this moment, would you just kind of in a step of boldness and faith just lift up your hand and say, I want to put my trust in Jesus today. I want to put my hope in him. I've never done that. I want to put my hope in in Christ. I want to trust him as my leader, as my Lord, as my Savior, as my forgiver. I want to put all my faith in him. 
So if that's you today, just, I'll give you a, a minute just to consider this and just to say, yes, I want to put my trust in Jesus. Maybe even a lot in the last few weeks, it's you're recognizing this is a decision you've already made over the course of several months. But maybe today is a day where you can say, Lord, I have put my trust in you. I want to just declare that, say that I trust you. So whether you're making this decision today, you've made it recently, I just encourage you to do that just by lifting up your hand. Awesome. Hey, if that's you, you made that decision today with us. I just want to pray with you and for you. Maybe you can use these words as well. Father, I recognize that you are God. That you sent Christ, your son, to make a way for me to be in relationship with you. To be redeemed out of an empty way of life. Lord, I recognize that emptiness. And I trust Jesus to move me in new life. I repent of the emptiness. I want to walk away from the emptiness and move towards you. And I declare my trust in Jesus today. Call him Lord. Savior. Amen. Amen.